0: There's joy in every journey.
1: Presented by T Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Inside Access with Jason Laconfora
2: and Ken Wyman. Sponsored by Stevenson University Online. 1057
1: The Fan.
2: He is 36
3: years old, so. Um, but he's, he, he's a good-looking 36, I can tell you that. He looks great. And I say that from the standpoint of he's running around really good. You guys have seen him at practice. So, uh, you know, he's, he's a possibility. I think he probably th- feels like he's ready to go. And if he is, you know, he could be out there.
4: I think the film speaks for itself, man. You know, what I've been able to do over my career, you know, just really the biggest thing is being a spark. You know, implementing a deep threat vertical down the field, uh, the biggest special plays. Um, you know, honestly, whatever it is they ask me. Ask me to do whatever my number is called on, whenever it's called, and just uh, do everything I can to, to get ready. And once that time is, get out there and just you know show up and show up.
3: You heard John Harbaugh talking about Deshaun Jackson and then Deshaun Jackson himself. And as we head into Monday night against New Orleans, guys, with especially the uncertainty with Rashad Bateman, it's got to be go time. Deshaun Jackson has now watched from the sidelines for two games. I would think it's go time for Deshaun Jackson this Monday night.
4: It's got to be go time. Bateman is not playing, Um, and I don't know that he's going to play again this season, and Gigi will see if you get more clarity on that when you go out to the castle in a little bit. Um, The Ravens' wide receiver production is minimal, and I'll document that in a minute. And we'll get into this a little later in the hour at more length. But if you really start to break the Saints' defense down, you can't really throw to running backs or tight ends against them. You got to throw to receivers. The Ravens don't have dependable receivers. And we're talking about a football team that at the midpoint of the season, 61 catches for the Ravens by wide receivers. That is the third fewest in the NFL. Only the Bears and the Titans have less. The Ravens receiving room in total, 790 receiving yards. Only the Bears and the Titans have less. And remember, the Titans have already had their bye. They've only Mm -hmm. played... Seven games. Mm -hmm. Um, You you can look at yards per reception to receivers. They're middle of the pack there. I think in large part because the deep balls that they got going to DuVernay and Bateman early in the season. That certainly haven't been there with any regularity lately. Bone, we know. (laughs) Thursday night. Likely, who he's a tight end, but he's really a receiver. And Duvernay and Robinson had moments where in that second half, it looked like maybe it could be a springboard. And that all might be true, but they needed they need some other element we haven't seen yet to join that group. We still think Deshaun Jackson has fairly elite straight line speed. So, yeah, I think, bro, it's been like three weeks since they signed him and it's the middle of the season. Like it's go time. And they need him to be more than what a Des Bryant was a couple years ago. Or, you know, we, we can sort of go down the list. Like, they need him to at least be someone who the defense has to respect.
2: And I think he needs to be more than what he was last year, where he played in 16 games. He only had 20 receptions. He averaged over 20 yards per catch, had over a 50 yard reception with the uh, Raiders and the Rams. But by default, he's going to have to make an impact and probably more than we would have imagined a week ago with this Rashad Bateman injury. There's no telling when he's going to come back at this point. You can't rely on a Demarcus Robinson. I think, like you said, the Isaiah likely, I am confident that they're going to utilize him more in the next nine games than they utilized him in the first seven where he just wasn't a factor. But they're going to need something that a Sean Jackson can, and they're going to need more of a deep threat in this passing attack, which has been lacking. They haven't had the chunk plays.
3: And we have to wonder whether Mark Andrews is even playing Monday night. Like, like is he is he going to suit up? He's got he's got the ankle. He's got the shoulder. It probably behooves them to sit him Monday night and give yes. him that full time to recover after the bye. So I just – I think they're and, – and we can talk about whether or not – uh, what they have a wide receiver. Mark Andrews is their best receiver. And if yes. he's not there, that that definitely limits what Lamar
4: has to throw. And another reason to have Deshaun Jackson out there. And, and the reality is the, the panorama of options they're going to have in the passing game. Deshaun Jackson debut. Likely probably first NFL start. We trust Duvernay, and there'll be a bigger role for Duvernay. But, you know, Proche... Oliver, Wallace, you like, I,
2: they're guys. There's not, man, there's not much meat on that bone, Bone. Mm-mm. <laughs> no, no, they're just guys, and we go back to the second half of the Bucks game where I think you're going to see a lot of that, where it's 24 rush attempts, eight pass attempts. Is the disparity going to be that great? No, but at this point, you're looking for efficiency, and you're looking for efficiency out of Lamar Jackson, who – didn't have a great first half. They had 30 pass attempts. I I didn't think it was a good first half. No, I I don't think No, it was was rough. I I don't think Greg Roman really put him in a position to succeed, but they're going to have to win in a 2019 type of fashion where less is more for this passing offense.
3: I I just... I don't know if the score's got to be 2019, but I I feel like you got to play to your strengths. And... uh. The other thing is when we think about the the running game, who's playing Monday night in the running game? And, like, is Gus Edwards playing? I'd probably say not. We know Dobbins isn't playing. So it, it, it's probably going to be Kenyon Drake and Justice Hill and Lamar Jackson running the football on Monday night. Again, all the more reason to have Deshaun Jackson up when you talk about what's available to you.
4: Oh, no, I think
3: he's going to be up. And
4: I think he's going to, I mean, Robinson is, okay, like, Bateman was the quote-unquote speed guy. Mm. And even I I would say he is not what I would call a burner. Deshaun Jackson in his prime, burner. Yeah. Tyreek Hill right now, burner. Yes. And, like, I know Duvernay hit some nice speed straight line, but no one is fearing Devin Duvernay as a guy who's going to be catching deep balls every week. So – they need this element. They need this element badly, and they need this element to hopefully keep DuVernay in the slot where he does the most damage.
3: By the way, the Ravens are currently on the field practicing today. Our own Cordell Woodland says the Ravens, he doesn't see practicing. <laughs> Gus Edwards, Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews, Justin Houston, Calais Campbell, Ronnie Stanley. The last three guys I assume are vet rest days, especially with Stanley talking today. Uh, I, I, I'm not concerned about him playing. But the first three guys, Edwards, Bateman, Andrews, uh, I don't know that we're seeing any of those
2: guys Monday night. No, I, I don't think so either. and Nor should we, in yes. all honesty. With Rashad Bateman, he, he isn't that guy to necessarily take the top off the defense, and I don't think he really has lived up to the expectations I had for him this season. But what Rashad Bateman brought to this receiving core, Ken, is yak. He mm-hmm. had 133 uh, yards after the catch, Excuse me. and that's just with 15 catches. The guy who leads that category, Ken, Mark Andrews. He has 42 catches Only nine more yards of yak. So that just tells you what Bateman brings to this team. They don't have a guy that can provide that right now. Okay, I'm just going to go back to this. 790
4: receiving yards from their entire receiving room. Mm -hmm. Tyreek Hill is 961 receiving yards. Stephon Diggs, in just seven games, they've had their bye. 764. Mm. Justin Jefferson, in just seven games, 752. Jalen Waddle, who plays on the same team as Tyreek Hill, (laughs) has 727 himself. They have 790 as a team at the midpoint of a football season in the year of our Lord 2022 where everybody throws the ball.
3: It's that's not good. Not good at all. Bob wouldn't like it. No, Bob, Bob would not. doesn't like it. No, Stoney doesn't like it. No one doesn't it. like it. Yeah, he does. This is not this. Hollywood Brown. Probably likes it. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. He's he's as he rests probably there, the- probably looks at the Ravens receiving numbers and laughs. Yeah, it's. But here comes Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, and he we will see what kind of impact he makes. Huge Thursday show. We get started guest-wise. Jim Hunter, part of our Baltimore Baseball Tonight crew, he'll, he'll uh, review and preview the World Series with us at 2.30. Former Saints quarterback now with WWL in New Orleans. Bobby Hebert joins us at 3. Brian Baldinger, Odyssey NFL Insider at 3.30.
4: Bucky Brooks from NFL Network at 4 o'clock. Fair to say that Bobby Hebert was at least in some part the inspiration for Bobby Boucher. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Like the fact that Bobby Boucher's first name is Bobby. Yeah. yeah uh, right?
3: Yeah. No, there's there's, there's no doubt. A, the I mean Cajun, I think Sandler would, would, yeah, would cop to that, yeah, right? Yeah. I I think there's gotta be at least some at least a an uh
4: subconscious. Should ask Bobby A Bear, if growing up he ever hung out with anybody like Vicky Valencourt. <laughs> there, there were probably a lot of Vicky Valencourts back in the day. Uh, uh,
3: but coming up next, Ravens, we got to protect the nest. And oh, yes. Man, oh, man, Tyler Linderbaum has been playing better football of late. That How- is one nest protector right yeah, there. Yeah, How good has he been? We're going to tell you next here on The Fan.
4: Inside Access. Jason is an Odyssey NFL insider.
1: Jason Lockin' Four. Jason Lockin' Four, one of the best in the business.
4: Ken and Tim prefer Adam Schefter. What are we doing here? Inside
3: access, 1057 The Fan. He's reaching guys, you know, he's reaching shades, uh, he's reaching three techniques sometimes, which is pretty incredible. So it's the stuff that you saw in college and you always ask yourself is this going to transfer to the NFL? That's really the, that's the game of the draft, so to speak, in the evaluation part of it. And I would say so far, so good. You know, his his, his game is is transferring very well to the NFL. John Harbaugh talking about rookie center Tyler Linderbaum and Jason Man. Oh man, he's
4: been playing better football of late. He has. Gigi, you know what he's been doing? He's What's been, that? He's been protecting the damn nest. And this protected nest segment, as always, is presented and sponsored by the great. Baltimore Equitable Insurance, Baltimore Equitable Insurance offering perpetual homeowner's insurance throughout Maryland and Pennsylvania. Shouldn't you get all your money back, darn right you should. Yeah. Now look, when you take a center where they took them in a league where you you can routinely find impact centers in the mid rounds and they themselves have told you over the years they don't value center that much. That's why it's been a revolving door. Mm-hmm. Right? Take that all the way back to Jason Brown. Yeah. And hey, we're going to pay him. Go mm-hmm. to the Rams. Yeah. So for them to do that much of an about face at a time where they had other pressing needs and, frankly, when they could have kept their previous center for a couple million dollars a year, then you need the kid to be an impact player. You need him to be an impact player sooner rather than later. And as much as it's difficult for offensive linemen to have highlight plays, you needed to have him making highlight plays at the second level. And as Harb said, at times he's he's getting way into the... Um, way downfield, eliminating people and making your run game go at a premium, optimal level. And that's starting to show. I I still worry about the snaps a little bit. I felt like as I watched that game, as I went through my notes and as I went back through my notes from that game this morning, there were a lot of snaps that I thought were wide left, wide right, high. Lamar is so cool and he's got such great eye-hand coordination that it's not a problem because he, he caught it and the play most of the time was still functional. Um, but yeah, this, he th- like, this has got to be
2: a bedrock foundational player for them. That's the one bugaboo of his game thus far as the snaps. And you saw a lot more critical issues early on. You think of the giants game and then Lamar made it worse with the interception. He hit Devin DuVernay in jet motion DuVernay bailed him out there, but all in all, you have to be very pleased with Tyler Linderbaum, and you heard John Harbaugh coming in. He's at his best when he gets to the second level. Mm-hmm. Just ask Devin White. Yeah, he's very athletic, and then you don't really worry about the size mismatch when he gets to the second level against the linebacker. Vita Vea, he had that sack early on in the game. Big guys like that are going to give him issues, but for a group that we thought was going to be a weakness coming in, talking about the offensive line. You can make the argument, I don't even know if it's an argument, all five spots, they're better. Mm -hmm. Linderbaum's better than Bozeman, a hell of a lot better of an athlete. Yep. Ben Powers is playing a lot better than he has. Ronnie Stanley is a lot better than Alejandro Villanueva. Villanueva. Zeitler is the one mainstay, and then you got Morgan Moses. They've pretty much, across the board, done great, and no one could have expected Ronnie Stanley. 61 of 76 snaps against the Bucs he played in. Not a single pressure allowed. Hey, I don't. We didn't talk about this yet,
3: but did you see the video they showed on Thursday night of of Linderbaum and Tristan Wirfs wrestling against each other? Yes. that was pretty cool. Uh, and, and like leverage, Wirf's, yeah, it's a leverage game. Yeah, man, he's it, and that's they talked about it when they drafted him. He never beat Wurfs until the final time they wrestled against him, and then he finally beat him. And those guys were teammates for I think a year or two at Iowa. But man, he's all about leverage. He's going to be smaller. You're right. Uh, Vita Veya got him once. Low man that, wins, GG. Yes, the low man always wins. Even though low man on the totem pole is not a positive.
4: No, you don't it's want not. that. No,
3: but the low man in the in the in the the, in the grappling. In, yeah, in the, the, the grappling, grappling arts. Low man, and he's he seems and he
4: he seems like his confidence has gone yes. up as well. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not that long ago that he had back to back snaps. One Duvernay bailed him out, and one. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, that things are certainly trending in, in the right direction for him. Um, and it's I think it's very good for his development that there isn't a rotation at left guard, as we've seen at multiple positions on this offensive line in the past. Right. I mean, the only rotation that's going on is a little bit of McCarry spelling the left tackle or the right tackle here or there. But I think for him to know, okay, it's Powers, it's Zeitler, and they start, you know, moving every snap. It's them in conjunction with each other. That trio on the inside, versus, again, we've seen them rotate left guards by quarter. We've seen them lo- rotate them by series. I mean, and and for a rookie
2: center who already has so much on his plate, I think consistency is obviously a good thing. And across the entire offensive line, and you would think definitely after the bye week, the rotation at tackle is going to come to an end. Ronnie Stanley, he's playing an exceptionally high level. And Linderbaum, he's going to continue to gain confidence. Like you were saying, Jason, I would expect him to get better and better and better week after week because that's what we've been seeing, Ken.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been impressed with him now. And the snaps were an issue. Uh, but I've been really impressed with him now for a few weeks, and I think Tampa was his peak game by
2: far. And I think when you select a center that high in the 20s in the first round, you got a hit on it, and so far this looks like a hit.
4: Yeah, it's got to be a big hit. I mean, it's got to be a perennial pro bowler guy messes around and has some all-pro seasons. Like, yeah, Absolutely.
3: Well, right now, where would you say – do you think the team is feeling good about him? They got to be, don't they? Sure, absolutely.
4: You know, This will be an interesting challenge this week. Um, you know, they, they can move Cam Jordan around. He can kind of get at you on the outside, on the inside. So I, I wonder how he is deployed against Linderbaum and if if Dennis Allen and those guys try to feel him out a little bit from a size and power standpoint uh, early in the ballgame.
3: Remember, Baltimore Game Day Uncensored is Monday. We'll be out at the Green Turtle in Edgewater. That's from 2 to 5 doing the show. And then myself, Bob Haney, from 5 to 6. And then T-Bone with uh, Vinny Serrato and Collins from Mike Preston from 6 to 8 as the Ravens take on the Saints Monday night football. Coming up next, though, a combined no-hitter, only the second no-hitter in World Series history. What did Jim Hunter think of it? We'll ask him next here on The Fan. Inside Inside. access with Jason Lockenfora and Ken Wyman. Inside the warehouse and inside the castle. Inside access with Jason Lockenfora and Ken Wyman. 1057,
1: the fan. And the pitch from Presley is swinging a ground ball to third. Bregman has it. The throw to first, and that'll do it. The Astros even up the World Series with a 5-0 win tonight. And four of their pitchers combined to no hit. The Philadelphia Phillies.
3: Only the third postseason no-hitter of all time. Roy Halladay had one in the playoffs 10 years ago in that same stadium. And only the second no-hitter in World Series history, Don Larson's perfect game in 1956, as four pitchers combined to no-hit the Phillies last night. Astros and Phillies tied two games apiece. And let's go out to the Ashley Furniture guest hotline and bring on longtime voice of the Orioles, now part of our Baltimore Baseball Tonight coverage, Jim Hunter. And Jim, how big a deal? Combined no-hitter last night
1: yeah it certainly brought some drama, uh, you know although the Phillies uh, fell behind five, nothing when the Astros had that five run fifth <clears throat> and then the question was, are, are they going to be able to pull this off to get the season even because now it's guaranteed to go back to Houston for a game six, and that makes tonight's game very pivotal, because whichever team wins tonight, they just got to get one of the next two, and the team that loses tonight has to win the next two. So, you know, uh, the Phillies are approaching this the right way. I saw a lot of their post-game comments. You know, it's a loss. Who cares about the no-hitter? We got outscored by five runs, and we lost the game. Now we got to forget about it, come back tomorrow, and win game three. And, uh, you know, uh, Christian Javier was just fabulous last night, uh, and then the Bull them with three uh, scoreless innings and, and no-hit innings. So uh, nice, nice win for the Astros after uh, the Phillies barraged them the night before with the five home runs, and it's really making this World Series intriguing. Many people thought it would go six games, and now it's going to go at least six games.
2: Jim, you mentioned Christian Javier. It's always a point of discussion when a pitcher is pulled in the middle of a no-hitter. Did you have any problem with Dusty Baker taking out Javier?
1: Well, you know, Tim, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I saw Dusty hug him on the bench, I said to my wife, Bonnie, oh, my goodness, he's pulling this guy after six innings and a no-hitter. I said, let me go look at the box score and see how many pitches he's thrown. And he had thrown 97 pitches through those six innings. So I, it made me even more curious. So I, I look back on his season game logs. He only threw over 100 pitches twice all year. His season high was 115. That was in seven innings in a win at the Yankees in June. And 106 in a no decision at six innings in Atlanta in August. So if you think about it, if, if his season high was 115 and his other season high was 106 and he was at 97, he likely only probably would have been given one more inning and if he had 15 pitches in that, and he would have been at 112, and he would have been lifted. So my guess is, is that he's been on this type of rope all year. And because they had the best bullpen in the American League, uh, it doesn't matter necessarily that you lift the pitcher after six innings. I mean, he did exactly what he needed to do. He gave them a chance to win and then some. Uh, but I, I was curious, Tim, but uh, the numbers back up what Dusty did because he did it all year. That's how they treated this guy. And obviously, what he showed last night, uh, they did it the right way.
4: I'm guessing if I had told you, Jim, before the series started that, hey, uh, Nola's not going to be particularly great, and he's not going to have a quality start either time out. timeout. In fact, he's going to get hit around a little bit. You're, you would have probably thought then, that that could be a short series, correct?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because uh, going in, especially with the rest that both these teams had, from the LCSs to the World Series, the pitching lined up any way the managers wanted to, and Wheeler and Nola in the postseason coming into the World Series had been absolutely dominant pitchers to get the Phillies into the World Series. I, I'm, uh, quite frankly, very surprised. And, uh, you know, he said after the game last night, he goes, yeah, I left the bullpen in a tough spot. Bases loaded nobody out in a scoreless game. And then uh, Alvarado came in and couldn't find the plate, which was very uncharacteristic of him. But uh, I agree with you, Jason, that uh, with the pitching that got the Phillies there to the World Series, and Nola not pitching to his standards—it's uh, very surprising. But again, it, it's it's only uh, it, it's it's two-two. The Phillies have the one more game at home. Although tonight, even though Verlander hasn't been a great World Series pitcher in his career, the pitching has to favor the Astros tonight because Noah Syndergaard uh, is going to make the start for the Phillies, and he last pitched on October 22nd. He's had 11 days off since he last pitched. And in the postseason, he's only been on the mound three times for a total of five and a third innings. So what you're looking at is... Does he give them three? If this pitch count is good, does he give them four? And then you have to hope that the bullpen holds the Astros down because you know what the Astros are thinking. They're thinking, let's get this game tonight in Philly, then we fly home and we have a chance to wrap it up on Saturday night before our home crowd. So uh, the, the the pitching definitely is the story, and it's uh, right in the center tonight uh, because of Syndergaard. Uh, basically, this is a bullpen game for the Phillies, which you wouldn't expect to see in the World Series.
2: We're speaking to Jim Hunter. It's inside access on the fan. And, Jim, you mentioned Justin Verlander and his World Series struggles. He gacked away that five-run lead in Game 1. He's got an ERA of over six in World Series starts. He's got eight of them, so it's not a small sample size. At this point, do you think that's in his head?
1: You know, I, I don't necessarily think so because of the stature of the pitcher he is. He's had so much success for so many years that I gotta believe that uh, this is a guy that every time he goes to the mound and takes the baseball he expects that he's gonna shut down the opposing team uh, now obviously it keeps being brought up to him <laughs> by the media covering the World Series because as you mentioned Tim the, the numbers don't lie they are what they are when when you're a guy that's going to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot and your World Series ERA is over six uh, that is going to uh, draw some questions, and rightly so, but I honestly don't think, I, I think he has too much confidence in what he has been in his career. Uh, I think in this case, the ego certainly helps him because he has to go to the mound knowing that he's better than the, the opposing lineup that he's facing because if he doesn't think that, then he's already lost before he even throws a pitch, so I, I don't think it's in his head, but He's got to go out and prove it. And this is a huge game because whoever wins has to just win one of the next two in Houston and the world champs.
3: Jim, let's go back to game three and the drama with Lance McCullers. Uh, John Smoltz, during the broadcast, all but said he was tipping pitches. Pedro Martinez, in the postgame, said he was tipping pitches. And you could tell Bryce Harbor had something to say to Alec Baum, and, and you knew it wasn't where we're we going to dinner after the game. What'd you think of all that?
1: Well, it, it certainly looked like they knew what was coming. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember in my early tenure with the Orioles. The, the guy who was the best at picking up what the opposing pitcher was doing was Cal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would watch a pitcher, and he would have it figured out by maybe the first time through the lineup. And then he would start to tell his teammates, hey, if he does this, it's going to be this pitch. So the way they reacted, and I, and I did see that exchange between Harper and Baum, and Bomb went up there and jumped on the first pitch. Now, he didn't have a good fastball that night, which is obviously a very important pitch for a starter, because if you don't have your fastball and you don't have fastball command, they can lay off that pitch and then look for the breaking balls. And uh, uh, He's a very good breaking ball pitcher, but his breaking ball the other night was flat. So I, I think there's probably uh, a lot to that. Uh, the Astros deny he was tipping pitches, but of course they're going to do that. And the way the Phillies hitters reacted, it certainly looked like they knew what was coming. And if you can eliminate one of his key pitches, which is his fastball, it makes it a little bit easier to go up there with your approach and what you're looking for. And then when you see your pitch, you jump on it. That The two-run home run by Harper in the first inning I thought was huge because it came with two men down. And if if you... If you let McCullers get out of that inning, who knows what happens. Yeah. But then Harper comes through with that big blow, and all of a sudden now the Phillies have a 2 nothing lead and they're on their way. So, you know, we'll see if, if, if he returns to the mound in the series. I'm sure they have combed the video to see if, if he's doing anything uh, with his glove or with his approach or, you know, how he holds the ball or how he grips the ball. But uh, the, the Phillies did what they needed to do. They, they had some information, at least they thought, and I, I have to believe that information was accurate because of how they played.
4: Well, by by this time next week, we will be into the off season. Um, the World Series will be behind us, and transaction period will be upon us. I guess. How much do you feel for Trey Mancini? Because man, I don't know what that contract's going to look like, and it, it may end up being more of a one year prove-it kind of thing.
1: You know, Jason, it could be, and uh, it's really a shame because he he was traded to the team that won the most games in the American League and obviously was going to go to the playoffs. Uh, they believed and they did get to the World Series. And he doesn't have a hit. And, you know, it's a shame. Uh, you know, last night he he was put on stage because of the uh, cancer awareness night yeah. that Major League Baseball always does in the World Series. And Ryan Miner, unfortunately, now has uh, stage four colon yeah. cancer. And that was Trey's manager at Del Marva. And Ryan is one of the best guys I've ever mm-hmm. been around. Uh, I'll never forget when Cal Streak ended and Ray Miller called him in the office. He said, "Hey, Cal, sitting down tonight. You're playing third base." And Ryan said to him, uh, "Does Cal know?" <laughs> As if the manager was going to end Cal Streak. But uh, I, I think you're probably right. I, I have a feeling, depending on what else the Mets do, that Showalter's mm. going to make a big play with. Uh, Billy Epler, the Mets GM, to get Mancini there, because the one thing about Trey is he does offer some versatility. He can play first base, and I know they have Alonzo there, so uh, that that guy's their star, and he's going to be their first baseman, but he can play left field, he can play right field, and he also can DH now that the DH is universal, but uh, he certainly, his postseason isn't Alerting teams to to knock the phone down uh, and and call his agent and try to get something done. And I feel for him because you know he, he was uh, he, he came up in sixteen and the Orioles had the the wild card loss uh, in Toronto and then he had losing teams the rest of his tenure and then this year the Orioles finally turned it around unexpectedly and he's traded away because they had other players they needed to get regular playing time so. Uh, it, it might be one of those, you know, what, what do they call them, pillow contracts? Yeah. You get you get the uh, the one-year deal, prove that you're worth it, and then hope you go. But I, I have a, a funny feeling that uh, Showalter is going to be <laughs> really campaigning to get him in New York.
3: Game five of the World Series is tonight. You can hear it right here on 105.7, the fan. Uh, the Thursday Night Football will be on our sister station, 13 under the bed. Jim, as always, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of the series.
1: All right, guys. Good to talk to you. Have Thank a good day. You.
3: Appreciate it. We get back to football and that New Orleans Saints defense What do we need to look out for? Jason Lockenfora did a deep dive on the defense. He'll tell you next here on The Fan.
4: Jason Lockenfora and and Ken Wyman on The Fan.
3: The Sports Pulse of Baltimore. 105.7 The Fan.
2: I thought
1: they did pretty well. They challenged in coverage. Look, when we've been at our best, um, we've been that way because we've been able to Win the line of scrimmage against an offense that had been moving the ball pretty well, uh, against an offense that had been scoring a lot of points and probably one of the premier receivers in our league. And so I thought, I thought that was impressive to see our guys go up and challenge the what they did.
3: Dennis Allen talking about his defense, Jason, and uh, you were taking a look. Uh, how how good is that New Orleans Saints defense?
4: You know it's. <laughs> It's been erratic. Uh, They started the year pretty good. They had a stretch where they were allowing 28 points a game over four straight games. Now, some of that was on the offense. We all saw it in prime time against Arizona, right? Andy Dalton, multiple pick sixes. So it wasn't all on the defense, but it looked like it was reaching a point where the defense might start to crack. And instead, they bowed up and played the game of the season, shutting out the Raiders on Sunday. And they took Josh... Jacob's out of the game early, and then he became irrelevant by midway through the second mm-hmm. quarter because they were up 17 points, and Derek Carr couldn't complete a forward pass to save his life. Um, I mean, overall, they're they're top 10. If you look at advanced metrics, defensive rushing, EPA, they're in the top 10 there. They're only 17th in the league in yards per carry. Um, but I think, you know, I think they're fairly stout up front. What interests me is they're only 23rd against running out of 11 personnel. That's when the Ravens spread people out, one back, one tight end, three receivers. They allow 5.4 yards per carry when opponents attack them and at 11 personnel, and they've given up five rushing touchdowns out of that formation, which is fourth most in the NFL. Um, I think that, you know, that's the, at this point, the Kenyon Drake stuff. Um, so that might be one way the Ravens can attack them. But I, 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 it could be tough sledding for their passing game on a multitude of levels, primarily because no team in football eliminates the tight end better than New Orleans Saints. 61.2 opponent passer rating throwing to tight ends this year. The NFL average is 99, 61.2. They have not allowed a TD to a tight end. They have one interception on a target to a tight end. They They allow... yards per reception to tight ends. Just think about that. This is not... We're not talking about a running back. We're not talking about a fullback. That's bad
2: for a running back. Mm.
4: 4.78 per reception to tight ends. We don't think Mark Andrews is playing in this game. Likely's first start. That could be tough. If you factor in targets to tight ends and running backs... Saints defense first in the NFL, seventy-four point seven opponent passer rating, first in the NFL, four point five yards per attempt, first in the NFL, sixty-one point five percent completion percentage. Where are they? Where are they vulnerable? The secondary really beat up. Mm-hmm. Lattimore hasn't played that much this season. Throw into wide receivers. They give up 8.9 yards per reception. That's 24th in the NFL. Passer rating for opposing QBs, throwing to wide receivers, 108.8 rating. That's third worst in the NFL. But the question that's begged, as we sort of alluded to at the top of the show, Mm -hmm. talking about Deshaun Jackson, are the Ravens equipped right now in Deshaun Jackson's first game with them in all likelihood, with Robinson being a guy, right, and with... We all trust Duvernay, and and hopefully he gets a ton of run in the slot. Yeah. But are they equipped to exploit this defense, or do they
2: lean into, well, we're going to spread you out, but we're not passing. We're running. Well, the success that offenses are having out of 11 personnel, that is eye-opening right there. And heading into the Raiders game where they blow them out, Josh Jacobs, not a factor. They give up 123 rushing yards per game on 4.6 yards per carry. I mean, that just screams for the Ravens to power the football mm. through that defense. But if they can get similar production from the receivers that they got in that Bucks game, Robinson with six catches, Duvernay chipping in on the ground and receiving. And even Isaiah Likely, who they use as a receiver— They're going to be just fine. You combine that with the running game, I think that they will be just fine. As far as Deshaun Jackson, look, if you can connect on one deep ball, a 30, 40-yarder, and just flip the field, get in the scoring position. Yes, exactly. That would be huge. Exactly. He doesn't need to take over this game. If he can get one to keep them honest, that would be huge, Ken. Yeah, I think that's the big key.
3: Make them respect the deep ball. Uh because if they don't, then they can crowd the line of scrimmage a little more. But if you if you make them respect it, Jason, I I think that's enormous.
4: No, it's I think it's going to be essential. They'll have to show some of that early. I, I don't know how effective it will be, but yeah, you, you 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 have to maintain some degree of balance and you have to make them at least think about a deep shot here or there. And and again, I think Deshaun Jackson is un, un, unquestionably, no matter where he is in his stage of his career versus the rest of these guys, he's the one who they probably will keep eyeballs on the most in that regard. Um, it wouldn't be a tough matchup. The more closer we get to this, the more I'm like, it's going to be loud, it's going to be crazy.
2: Uh... It's not a Sharpie game. That's no. for sure. Not a sharpie game. Monday night football in the Superdome. It's never a gimme. It wouldn't shock me at all on their first drive doing a deep shot to Deshaun Jackson. little just play esta- action. Just to establish that. I could definitely see Giro dialing that. And just up. a play like play action and then fly what's it, a nine route
3: to uh to Deshaun Jackson. He's still got the wheel, straight line speed. If you connect, now they gotta respect.
4: Well, look, if they were to win this ballgame, and you're going to tell me they're going to go on the road to Tampa and New Orleans and win them both, and win them both in prime time, and do it without, in the first game, without Edwards, Andrews, and Bateman in the second half, and then in the second game, without any of those guys at all, I'd say, I'll believe it when I see it, and maybe we're four days away from seeing it. Coming up next, I'm heading out to
3: One Winning Drive. Lamar Jackson, John Harbaugh, Ronnie Stanley, and others will be talking out there. I will check in, or I will come back and let you know what I heard. But coming up next, we go behind enemy lines. You guys will be talking to Bobby Bear, former Pro Bowl Saints quarterback, now a sports talk host at WWL Radio in New Orleans. He joins us next.
1: Inside Access with Jason and Ken.